Hello and welcome to the Full Cast and Crew Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Silo. Thank you again for joining us. And today we're going to be talking about the new Steven Spielberg film, The Fablemans. But first, I do want to acknowledge I've had a bit of a post-episode podcasting depression after my episode about Zodiac, which came out a couple of weeks ago. This is the first time I've really experienced the feeling after doing an episode where I just thought, I don't think I could ever do anything as well as I did that and not tooting my own horn well, but I mean, as much of a movie that perfectly spoke to my various interests, where the research came together, where the sound bites were there, the clips from the film, it just was such a worthwhile thing to put a lot of myself into over the three or four weeks that I spent working on it in and around my regular everyday life. That boy, in the aftermath, I've just had a hard time thinking, like, what could I ever do again? Of course, there will be something. But it's an indication of how deep that post-show depression can run. I'm using depression in a way that I shouldn't. I shouldn't make light of real depression by talking about, you know, what am I going to podcast about depression? So let's just call it more of a a, a funk, a slump, a post-episode slump. A little bit of housekeeping before we get to the Fablemans, because the Fablemans did jolt me out of my post-Zodiac episode funk. If you haven't listened to the Zodiac episode, please give it a download. I'm very proud of it, as you can tell. If you're new to the podcast, there's an episode just for you. It's episode 125, and it's called, If You're New to the Pod, Start Here. If you're thinking of starting your own podcast, you should. And I have a non-published episode that's just for you. It's totally free. There are no strings attached. All I would ask is you follow the podcast on Instagram and then get in touch with me however you like. Request the episode. I will send you a link. This is just the uh, collected experience. I'm not even going to call it wisdom. I don't think I have much of that. But I do have three or four almost years of experience doing this, and I have learned a few things along the way. I still got a lot to learn. But the journey from having someone else do everything to kind of doing everything myself is perhaps worthwhile if you're thinking of doing your own podcast. And so I recorded an episode where I just spoke about everything that I've learned to date. And maybe it's useful if you're thinking of doing something like this for yourself. Okay, so on to the Fablemans. I went and saw this movie in the theater last week. And I've talked before on the pod that for me, the thing I'm chasing in a movie is that feeling you get when you walk out of or finish watching something that's moved you. And it could move you in any number of ways on an emotional spectrum. But for me, that feeling when you're sitting in a movie and you know that it's great, when it's when it's past the point where you have to wonder, is this truly great? You know it is, and you're just absorbing moment to moment of perfectly calibrated technological filmmaking with emotional intent and performance and all of those things come together. And I guess with an increased awareness of how difficult it is to get all of those things moving in the same direction, when that happens, it is such a wonderful feeling. When it's a wistful experience, kind of like the Fablemans, although I'll talk about sort of the note you're left with uh, in a moment. But that wistful feeling, I love that too, because 
that means you have just experienced something truthful in any number of ways. Um, for example, Zodiac leaves you with sort of a wistful feeling about truths having to do with the world we live in that are perhaps uncomfortable, but the manner in which it's been presented to you manages to tickle the ivories in just the right way. Now, the Fablemans, it's funny. A lot of people that I've talked to when I've raved, as I tend to do, about something that I really like have told me variations on the following. Oh, really? That was good. Oh, yeah. I didn't really want to see that. And as I've, as I've uh, dived into their reasons, uh, the most common one is that people thought it was going to be schmaltzy or corny. Those are direct quotes. And for that reason, they weren't interested in it. Now, the honest truth is, this film is so far from schmaltzy or corny. This film honestly has more in common with Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. That's how precisely felt, personally detailed, and emotionally rendered so, so many scenes in this film are. There are moments where, without us knowing the specific minutiae of Spielberg's childhood memories, you somehow know that he is replicating specific moments with an exactitude that comes down to things like subtle sound design cues. There's a scene in the movie where a car is cooling in a driveway and, and you hear the ticking of the engine as it cools. Now, we've talked before in the pod about everything that you hear or see in a movie is a choice, especially in the, the audio track. And, and that choice, you just somehow know that that's specific to Spielberg's memories. And the, the way you know that is just the alchemy of cinema. And there's a part of it that's this collective knowledge that film fans will have in their mind about Steven Spielberg as a director, maybe some of the tropes and themes of his films. Uh, we've talked in the past about the absent fathers, um, boys and children without a present father in some of the classic Spielberg movies. And there are moments like that that somehow work in the indefinable magic of movies and cinema. And it and it's it creates a trust between you, the viewer, and the filmmaker. This is a sprawling, episodic film that rolls right along and takes you along with it. It has a progression of narrative that really builds cumulatively in its power. And it features performances that are just out of this world in detail, emotional truth, specificity. And most of all, it's a reminder in case anyone out there needs reminding that Steven Spielberg may be many things, but he is most certainly among the greatest living filmmakers. And he is an artist of the highest cinematic caliber. He's up there with anyone you want to name. And he's probably higher than many people you would name as, you know, representative certified artistic cinematic geniuses. Because Spielberg's films work in whatever genre he's working in. Okay, maybe 1941 doesn't work, but he is a master director. 
And there are passages in the Fablemans that have me thinking in the cinema, this is kind of an art movie. What's going on? I mean, it's poetic genius cinema of the very highest order. And that's what I wanted to impart to you because I get the feeling looking at the numbers and listening to people anecdotally and also my own experience. I have to be honest. I think I didn't really watch the trailer when it came around. Um, I guess I was aware of what was going on uh, just in terms of reading an inordinate amount of film stuff in the newspaper or magazines or whatever. I think I was aware enough about what was going on with the movie where I didn't really have to have the trailer as an entry point. But I guess for many people, that's where they started. So let's address the issue of the trailer first and talk a little bit more as we have been on the pod about the concept of getting people to go to the movies these days, because that's an ongoing thing here. First, let's take a little bit of a look at the numbers. The Fablemans is a $40 million movie. By comparison, Jaws, Spielberg's second feature, cost $9 million in 1974, 75. Spielberg's last film, West Side Story, cost $100 million and to date has grossed, quote, only, end quote, $76 million. And in the cruel math of Hollywood, that is considered a bomb of epic proportions. But in probably 20 years, it'll make its money back. And it will be considered in its time probably more in line with its 91% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes than it is with the question of, did it come out a little too soon in the not quite ready to return to real life pandemic moment in which it came out, which was December 2021. So it's not an expensive movie by Spielberg uh, standards. And I think that's good. It's, It's good for the business of films like this. It doesn't have a tremendous hill to climb financially to be considered, quote unquote, successful. Now, I'll give you the numbers a little bit that it's done in the few weeks that it's been out. Uh, but it's not a lot, right? It's, I think it's made five or $6 million. Um, but what's going to happen is when the Academy Award nominations come out, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be one of the top one or two films that have nominations in the double digits. And I think that's going to renew interest in the film and it's going to probably send people looking for it. Now, I'm aware, part of the reason why I'm recording this, the film is out right now in cinemas. I don't know how many cinemas, but I live in New York City. It's out here. Um, But I know that it's going to be, I saw a new uh, anagram, anecdote, what do they call it? PSVOD, premium streaming video on demand. That's where you go on like Amazon or wherever And the new movies that are in the cinema are available and you can pay, you know, $25 or something to watch the film at home. I don't know how many people are going to do that, but I bet you, based on, again, just anecdotally talking to people, I think people are going to consider this a movie they're happy to wait for streaming. Uh, They may not pay for it in that manner, but they'll wait for it. And perhaps watch it down the road. But then again, you know, by the time you wait for something like that, you forget about it. Other things come out. 
Um, but it's in the in the cinema right now, and I wanted to record this episode today. I'm recording it on Monday, December 5th, for release on Tuesday, December 6th, because in these six, seven days before it's available on PSVOD, I want to encourage you to go see it in a cinema if you have it, if you have the opportunity. Because it's best experienced and appreciated and enjoyed in the theater. And I think that's important. Now, let's talk about the, I'm going to play you the trailer here. Because when I did finally watch the trailer this morning, I thought, okay, <laughs> this is, you know how we sometimes say there's, there's good movies, bad trailers, there's bad trailers, good movies. It's tricky. It's tricky to market this, it, which is a strange thing to say about a Steven Spielberg film, I'm aware. But when I watch this trailer, have, after having watched the film, I'm going to tell you what I think is missing in it. So I'm going to play you the trailer right now. I'm going to try not to annotate it too much, but I probably won't be able to. Movies are dreams. That you never forget. Sammy? The lights change how everything looks. It's hard to find our house. Ours is the dark house with no lights. In this family, it's the scientists versus the artists. Sammy's on my team, takes after me. What kind of movie are we going to make? You dismiss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been the concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey! Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. You always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, that'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. was your favorite part? Okay, <laughs> there you have it. I mean, is it laying it on a little thick? Yes, it's so operatic and crescendoing. And watching it now after having seen the film, I understand what it's trying to do as a trailer. It's trying to, to lend you a sense of the emotional scope and range of the film, but it's overselling the part that people are referring to as schmaltzy or cheesy, when really 
the film is not like that. I mean, it, it, it contains moments of Spielbergian wonder, yes, but it is far more a really, I'm not going to use the word dark because it's, it's not appropriate, but it's complicated and messily human in a way that trailer does not at all convey. It makes you think, oh, it's one of those movies about the wonder of movies, which if you listen to the pod, I have so little tolerance for that in terms of the Academy and the Academy Awards and celebrities on stage talking about movies can change the world and how important they are. You know, I think a lot of that is bullshit. This is the entertainment business. Decisions are calculated. Things that are presented to you as art are as calculated as things presented to you as commerce. And that's just a simple fact of the business itself. And you have to learn to be a discerning editor of information that comes to you about films, about anything really. And I think learn to assess what gets elevated and what gets sublimated. And in this case, like I said, Spielberg has made easily his most personal film. It's literally about his life. Yet he's also made a film that's incredibly accessible for anyone who's had a family. And to make a trailer that adequately would represent this film would be really difficult. I'm not even sure what kind of trailer would capture <laughs> what this film is about. And I can see why people would experience that trailer in a movie theater and be a bit assaulted and a bit bombarded with the majesty of the scoring and and the way that the shots are selected. Um, it really isn't what the movie is all about. It doesn't contain any of the subtleties or finely wrought and observed moments, the sheer kind of human complexity with which Spielberg is taking us through a specific chapter of both his life and his experience making films. So I get it, but don't be put off by that is my, is my general uh, wish for you here. So what was he trying to do? Well, here's a little sound from Spielberg himself. The, the film was co-written between Spielberg and Tony Kushner, who I think has written at least four films with Spielberg and is obviously a hugely talented and awarded writer and playwright in his own regard. But he and Steven Spielberg have a very good simpatico relationship. And I'm going to play you a little bit of sound talking about that in a minute. But I wanted to play this soundbite because it's Spielberg talking about what they were trying to make. What was their goal? I think this soundbite tells you more about what you're going to experience in the film than the trailer you just listened to. Tony and I didn't set about to make a comedy, but, you know, life is full of things that are ridiculous and silly and hysterically funny and abstract and existential and, and, and also very sad and tra traumatizing. And it's just what all of us go through as we go through our formative years. And I simply wanted this to be a coming-of-age story that, that takes, that basically takes stock in the stuff that happens to us that we wish never happened and the stuff that happens to us which we look back on and laugh hysterically because we it, it wasn't funny at the time. But uh, in looking back, it was pretty funny. 
I mean, that's exactly what he's doing here. I, I think that says so much more than that trailer does in a way, because he has done such a fantastic job to lay out. It doesn't have just one tone, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like the film has these sections, the high school section. It has the kind of the last section, which is like the going to Hollywood section. It has the Phoenix, Arizona section. It, it has all of these different sections and all of these different tenors and tempos and the performances that ground us through all of those are the Sammy Fableman character, who's the young Steven Spielberg and his parents played by Michelle Williams and Paul Dano. There are many other amazing performances, but those three key performances are the ones that age through the film and take us through and introduce us to the variety of emotional experiences that we're talking about. Here, Spielberg is going to talk a little bit about what he didn't want to do uh, with the film, which is as important as what he did want to do. I didn't want this story to be told in a vanity mirror. You know, I wanted the story to be told in more of a communal mirror so people could see their own families in, with, inside the story. Because this story is about family. It's about parents. It's about siblings. It's about bullying. It's about the things that the good and bad things that happen when you're growing up in a family that pretty much stays together until they're no longer together. And that's one of the most poignantly, brilliantly wrought things in the film to me is Spielberg's depiction of his parents' distance, separation, divorce, yet he's also cinematically bringing them back together and bringing them back to life. And there's a incredible scene at the end where Paul Dano says to Sam Fableman, the young Spielberg doppelganger, about the fact that the parents have been divorced and the father is living with Sam Sammy Fableman in Los Angeles as he ostensibly goes to college, but he really just wants to go work in the movie industry and he's trying to please his father and all of this stuff. And he says, uh, the Paul Dano character, the father character says to Sammy of this idea that Sammy talks about that the family has been broken, that they are not together. And that if Sammy were to go pursue his dream, he would lose his father. And Paul Dano brilliantly says, Sammy, we are always going to know each other. Oh, it's, it's, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because if you've been through a divorce of your parents, uh, which I've been through twice in my youth before seventh grade, um, that's what you want someone to tell the young version of yourself. And I just feel that Spielberg is both paying such specific attention to difficult things that he realized about his family at the age of 15 or 16. And he's also using the power of cinema to not put the family back together again, but in a way, yes, because for two thirds of the film's running time, the family is an intact unit. And it is so specific to the truth of his memory of things that for him, of course, to watch it is a whole different experience because he's watching his actual family put back together. But for that to work for us, who have no connection to his family, is such an incredibly powerful 
cinematic thing to pull off. And that's what's so impressive to me about this film. And again, I maybe have some experience in this regard, and that's what, what speaks to me about the mind of a divorced kid. I, I think he's nailed that. And maybe you'll think that too. Another impressive thing is he didn't want to demonize anyone in the film, which I think is also a pretty interesting thing. Here's, here's Spielberg on the concept that there are no villains in this story. There are no villains in the Fablemans. You know, in, in, a, in a way, the Fablemans is, is a story about the act, you know, the, the, and the act of forgiveness and how important that act of forgiveness is. These are the weighty things that I think the film is about and that I think Spielberg succeeds uh, so much in presenting to us is there are um, moments in the film where just if you just looked at it from a technical filmmaking perspective, just incredible emotional use of acting and cutting and production design. I mean, all of the technical elements. Uh, but, you know, just a much more aware emotional vocabulary than I think you're used to seeing from Spielberg because it was so incredibly personal. Some good sound bites here from Paul Dano, who plays Bert Fableman. It's based on Spielberg's father. Having the access to Steven's personal stuff, um, family photographs, home movies, voice recordings. Um, yeah, that was a treasure trove for, for me as an actor. Um, and uh, sort of remarkable to have uh, that sort of intimate relationship with, with somebody like Steven. The first scene of the film uh, is uh, Bert and Mitzi Fableman taking their kid Sammy to the movies, his first movie, and he's scared. And his father's way of dealing with that is to explain to him how a film camera works, explain to him how a projector works, and um, as, as if a child would then be able to sort of rationalize that and go, ah, I see it's only images flickering, they're still images, it's not real, they're actually not even moving themselves. And, and finally, Mitzi, uh, sort of cuts him off and says, they're wonderful dreams <laughs> and you'll never forget them. And she gives it this sort of big, positive, dreamy, artful. Um, and yes, you absolutely see, I think, Stephen. I think you see both parts of Stephen in his parents because he's obviously such, um, uh, he's an incredible technician, but such uh, an intuitive, emotional, um, dreamy artist himself. And, and that's, to me, the essence of this film. And it, bring, it brings up the incredible performances that I want to single out here. Paul Dano and Michelle Williams as the parents are phenomenal. When I was thinking a little bit about what will happen when the Academy Award nominations come out, this is my predictions. I'm going to put these out here. Let's see what happens. When do they come out? January, February? I don't even know. I mean, it's not that the Academy Awards mean anything really anymore. It's kind of an embarrassment at this point, but... It does draw people to see things that they wouldn't otherwise see. That's maybe the only good thing that the ceremony itself is good for. God knows what they're going to put on the screen this year. But when the Academy Award nominations come out, 
dispassionately, I think that unless it's deemed unfashionable in the moment to reward a filmmaker like Steven Spielberg, at a minimum, I would say the film definitely deserves to be nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Cinematography, Editing, Sound Design, Production Design, Score, and Best Supporting Actor nominations at a minimum for Judd Hirsch and Paul Dano. I may put the young man, Gabriel LaBelle, who plays Sammy Fableman. He would be in the best actor category because he really is in the really in two thirds of the film. I think a best actress nomination for Michelle Williams is a pretty guaranteed thing. Maybe even an outside shot at a best supporting actress nomination for Jeannie Berlin, uh, who plays. I believe she plays the disproving, disapproving mother of the Paul Dano character. She gets some laughs in the film. I personally didn't care. I thought her performance was the one that felt at odds with the standard of acting on screen almost everywhere else in the film. Doesn't feel like she she didn't feel like someone who was acting. She felt like she, that's who she is, and she's basically herself delivering lines, which is fine. Except that everyone else is so good and so finely wrought that it took me out of the movie a little bit. But I mean, that's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's about nine, 10 nominations, I would say. Um, and deserving, very deserving. You know, I'm, I think the last time I saw Paul Dano on screen was in the Batman, <laughs> where he, my God, he's terrifying as the villain. He's a very specific type of actor. This is the first movie I saw him in where I really got a sense of, oh, okay, this is a guy who is going to have a career like a Bill Hurt or a John Lithgow. Like he's going to be around for 50, 60 years. He's going to age and mature into different types of roles. But as a uh, technical actor, as an emotional vehicle, he is impressive. I mean, I would put him in best of his generation category goodness after this film. And not because it's showy. You know, a lot of times, like in the Batman, it's very showy, right? It's very uh, demonstrative and emotive in performance. That's not what this is. This is an extremely restrained type of performance, but that's not to say that the emotion isn't there. It would be very easy. This character is an engineer, a computer science engineer before that was a thing. And it would be very easy to do a two-dimensional, you know, uptight nerd. But what Paul Dano is able to do is show you the, the beating heart inside of this extremely logical person. And he also conveys, I think, the turmoil that the character feels that he knows that his way of viewing the world, his way of viewing his wife, his way of viewing his son, he knows that it's not right all the time. He knows that it creates problems. And he's emotionally aware of that, but he's unable in much of the film to find his way through. But he does in the end, in that, that scene that I mentioned where he says, you know, we're always going to know each other. It's such a, to me, that's the son letting the father not off the hook, 
but it's approaching the father with the understanding of the now 75-year-old Spielberg who understands that our parents always do just the best that they can. You know, they're not they're not malevolently usually trying to screw us up. They're simply doing the best they can with what they were given. And this film to me again, maybe as a child who lived through a couple of divorces and a before I was 15 or 16 years old, maybe that's what resonates so deeply with me. But it wasn't really at the time that I watched the film because there's so much else going on in the movie than just the story of his parents' divorce, um, which doesn't happen until the very end of the film. So it's it's not a movie about that. You know, it's not Kramer versus Kramer. Um, but it's it is about it. In the sense that it's it's Spielberg um, looking back and trying to, I think, view his parents as people. And that's one of the real uh, accomplishments of the film. And I think it's something that Spielberg himself uh, really attempted to do. Here's him talking a bit about that. And one of the reasons I wrote this story is because at a very young age, something had happened in my life, which is reflected in our film, but something happened in my life between myself and my mother, where I stopped perceiving my mother as a parent and began looking upon her as a person. And, and I think all kids at a certain point in their lives uh, if they if if they if they grow up in a in a in a communicative relationship with their parents, and they they themselves have kids, there there are moments where they realize, hey, my parents have been people all all this time, and I never I never knew it until now. And maybe the kid is forty, and the parents are sixty five, uh, when that when that epiphany occurs. I had that epiphany when I was sixteen years old, and um, and so I've never looked at any of the uh, the people in my story as enemies god this, that, that's just an amazing quote okay that part i mean that's such an intrinsic part i think of life and i think we're lucky if we've had the opportunity to feel that way about our own parents um that's part of the magic of this film i mean it's the way he um puts into it what it must have been like for him to both collaborate on writing this film and then step into step into the set where his life is so carefully rendered and not make it that uh, that vanity mirror, that phrase he used so so well and so succinctly earlier. That's such a delicate balance. And it's so unspielberg in a way to say, you know what, my next movie I'm gonna make is about myself. I mean, it's the height of hubris, right? To think that the stuff of your life is worth putting up on that big screen and spending $40 million uh, to tell a tale. And I think the hubris would be if uh, it was all for his ego. Instead, it's all for us. And it's an intellectual exercise. And there are deeply personal beautifully rendered scenes that contain universal truths. And I think that's what's so incredible about the, the, the exercise that 
was undertaken here in a way that still allows it to be universal. And he talks here about stepping onto the set uh, and seeing his parents uh, and seeing these aspects of his of his childhood. Uh, on Michelle Williams walked in uh, uh, in in clothes that my mom exact replicas of clothes my mom had worn her favorite clothes and Paul walked in looking just like my dad and I turned around and I looked at Paul and Michelle together and it, it was kind of a an out of body moment there was a moment a little moment where everything sort of went into slow motion like a car accident and I just looked at them together and I didn't see Michelle and I didn't see Paul I, I saw Lee, Lee and Arnold I saw my mom and my dad and I and I had a I, I kind of lost it. So everything that I said I was not going to do on the first day of shooting happened to me. And bless their hearts, they both walked up to me and they both embraced me. So we were in a three-way hug. And um, it was that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And these two people, I think another thing that people have been put off by, bizarrely, is Michelle Williams wears this hairstyle, this pixie cut, 60s kind of hairstyle that I think people are turned off by in the trailer um i understand it it may, it is in a, it is a bold choice it's a truthful choice if you see photos of spielberg's actual mother that's what she looked like but it's throwing some people in a way that i'm not quite sure about another incredible performance uh is judd hirsch who i said is going to be uh, to me he's going to win the academy award for best supporting actor even though um it's more than one scene but he arrives at their house and spends some time there and uh, alters young Sammy's life and also encapsulates what the movie is about in terms of show business and entertainment and cinema. And it's just a bravura takeover of the film by an actor of mighty worth who steps into things, owns the situation, and then departs brilliantly cinematically, hilariously, movingly, and without an ounce of ego or vanity from the actor himself. Here's a little bit of Judd Hirsch talking about playing this incredible Uncle Boris. As I said to Stephen just recently, thank you for parachuting me into this movie, because that's what it feels like. He's a guy who comes from nowhere. He's an ancient... Uh, a uh, family member who I believe represents something frightening, or so they thought, and ends up telling the character who plays Stephen that he must be a director. That was the purpose of the part. And I said, what's he like? And he said, make him up. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll represent the guy. I won't know the real one, and it won't matter. And I guess he thought that I was enough like him. All I know is I was sort of like invited, guessed my way through, played somebody I never was or ever will be, well maybe because I'm older, but a foreigner, total foreigner, guy comes from Ukraine. And that's all he gave me, nothing more. He said, you could have an accent, you could not have an accent. I even asked him one time, I said, the real guy, your real great uncle, what was he like? He said, sometimes we couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> okay. 
Well, after having seen the movie and truly not knowing, because it's been so long, it's almost a year uh, that we did it, <clears throat> it was uh, a total experience for me that I realized I was in something much more important than I could possibly imagine. And it's sort of grateful to know that Spielberg was a brave man to do a movie so special and so well done that I guess you could feel like, you know, wow, this was an honor to be in a movie like this. This is not one of those that you just simply know is going to be one of a number of movies that anybody's done. This is one of the only movies that I could say I was in it. Brilliant, right? That's Judd Hirsch saying that. I mean, he's been in a lot of great movies. He's done a lot of great work. So I think that's a bit of, I'm playing you a bunch of these things because the way that these people are talking about this process, it's it, you get the sense in, in, in working your way through these making of things that it was a special environment and a special set. And of course, it's Spielberg. And of course, you're talking about people who know the history and grew up on these movies and I think they were very aware that they were participating in something truly special and unique. And another actor that's incredibly well used is Seth Rogen, who, you know, I've never really had much of a reaction or experience to as an actor. Um, he's certainly funny. He's made me laugh in plenty of things. But he's tamped down in a great way in this, even though he does represent a bit of the the energy that uh, is lacking in the marriage of the parents. Uh, but I really liked Seth Rogen in the film, and he clearly got a lot out of being on the set and participating in this film. Play a little I bit. play in the film, Uncle Benny is what he's called. He's uh, introduced as Paul Dano's uh, character, uh, Bert's um, best friend um, and co-worker. Um, I help, uh, I'm on his team of uh, computer builders, uh, essentially. Um, and I've kind of uh, like entrenched myself in their family. Um, I, I seem very comfortable there. <laughs> I seem uh, like I've made myself at home. Um, and I have a very deep, uh, meaningful connection with this, uh, with the entire family, with the kids, with the siblings, the brothers and the sisters, and um, and slowly it is revealed that yeah, that 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 me uh, and that my character and um, you know Mitzi, uh, 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 Sammy's mother, um, are in love with each other, um, and and all the complications that go along with that. I asked him a lot of questions about the real. Uh, about the real Bernie, um, about the dynamics. I tried to get as much information as I could. They were sensitive conversations because I was essentially asking him about how specifically far he thought, you know, these kind of indiscretions were going uh, in an emotional way, in a physical way. And they were... Uh, uncomfortable conversations at times, honestly, and, and, and things that he didn't seem to particularly want to talk about. But then on, often he would kind of break through and then a whole new kind of page would, would, would be revealed. And, and often as we were filming things, he would run over and be like, oh, you know, uh, Bernie would do this all the time. Like, let's get another take where you're doing this. And it was almost like in real time, he was remembering things and, and putting them in the movie. And, and I almost think when he started, maybe he thought it wasn't going to be quite as representative as of his life as as he found himself uh, being willing to make it as we were doing it. 
I think that's interesting because in doing some other Spielberg stuff on the pod, you know, I think that's definitely a part of his process. You think of him as someone so thought out. But I also think he is such a great storyteller, even to himself. I think he sometimes has gone on to film sets and has told himself, oh, it's going to be this way. It's going to be that way. And then he kind of has to adapt on the fly. And then in being open to adaptation and being open to things not being maybe the way he thought they were going to be, you know, that's when you capture something that's truly unique and special. So all of these actors are incredibly well used in the film. Um, it's part of the joy of the film for me is that these people disappear into um, into their roles in a way that is brave acting to me. This is a quick little scene. There's a there's an amazing tour de force scene at a camping trip, which when I see the film again, that's one of the scenes I really want to pay attention to how it's constructed. There's so many things going on in it. It is, uh, it's this, it's hard to describe. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's slightly tinged with this menacing undercurrent of perhaps his mother's uh, difficulties that are going to be explicated later on in the film. It has such an, it's kind of a breaking point in a way. It's also a coming together point. It's a foundational moment. And one of the brave things that the script does is that the Sammy Fableman, you know, kid version of Spielberg, Spielberg, you know, he's wrong. He misses the point as we do at 14, 15 years old. He's not this like, you know, wunderkind who uh, reads situations correctly. And in this, uh, in this clip, Bert, who's Sam's father, played by Paul Dano, is trying to help his wife, who has just lost her mother, and is beginning to exhibit the first symptoms of maybe a recurring depression uh, that's going to distance them even further. And he's trying in any way that he can, as a husband, as a father, to help his wife, but he can't just, he can't reach her directly. He's not privy to her inner life in that way. And this very poignant scene to me is, is wonderful for the way that Gabriel LaBelle plays the Spielberg doppelgangers uh, missing of this whole emotional thing that the father is asking him to do. I think it's so I want you to make a well done. trip movie. Uh, you can learn how the editing machine works while you do this. It'll make your mom feel better. Yeah. That last night when she danced in the headlights, that'd be great. To it tomorrow, okay? Um, tomorrow's when we start shooting. <laughs> Escape to nowhere. We're shooting all weekend. Shooting Dad, next weekend. We got like forty guys coming to be in the movie. I'll, I'll work on all the camping trips on Monday. I'm asking you to do this now for your mom. Yeah, She's... and I said that I will, just not tomorrow. Don't be selfish. She just lost her mother. That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? It'll cheer her up watching this. It's something we can her do. Her mom just died. It's, it's, how is that going to cheer her up? Because you made it for her. And that's just a great acknowledgement that the son and the mother have this connection that Bert is aware he doesn't have. He doesn't have the ability to move her the way 
the son does with the film, with the art, because she's the artist, he's the engineer. And that's just one of many, many places uh, in the film where I think the acting is so brave and so on point and so in service of a truth that eclipses the fact that it's about Spielberg's teenage life and his journey towards the movies. Um, and there are many set pieces throughout this film that are very, very deserving of the kind of study that an obsessive like me would give to scenes in films as carefully constructed as Zodiac or Blade Runner or Blade Runner 2049 or Alien or uh, any of these films or 2001, you know, films made by master, master artists with the highest attention to detail, both technical, emotional. There are just astounding sequences in this film that uh, bring that to mind. And then there are moments, Spielberg moments. It's funny. I laughed out loud so many times in the film. It's really funny. Um, not cloyingly funny. There is a, I, I hesitate to even, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to say that there is a, uh, I'm going to speak to the, to those of you that haven't seen the film. And I, I want you to have this experience in the, in the cinema. There's the very last scene of the film to me includes one of the great final shots in cinema in a funny way, in a lighthearted way. It's the perfect note to end the film on. And I suppose the perfect note to end this exhortation for you to please go and see this movie in the cinema and let me know what you think. Am I alone? Am I crazy? I was very moved by the movie and I think it's really, really worthwhile to go and experience it in the cinema. I hope that you do. And when you do, please reach out and let me know what you thought. And perhaps I'll share some of your thoughts on a forthcoming episode. So thanks once again for giving a listen. And I'll catch you next time on the Full Cast and Crew podcast.